still working on the number twos. <laughs> I know that might be TMI, but that's where we're at. It's real life. Microdermabrasion? Have you what heard of that? this? No, no. Okay, sharing germs. Oh, for and sure. especially in like this day and age, I'm not about that life. So <laughs> this guy. She's gonna I, I love you, boo, and I know you're gonna be like, you never drop this, but and specifically watch, trash TV. Exactly. Yeah, like the Bravo. Like yeah. hit me with the Bravo. Like this, like the audience will come to learn. I am a huge nerd. I mean, <laughs> we do it for the gram all the time. Hey, Sippers, it's Jalen. No Chris this week. Uh, she has left me off to my own devices, and we are going to have a conversation that kind of stemmed from something else. So if you all listened to the previous episode, we talked about stress and how we deal with it. And that particular week for me and Chris really focused around trying to launch what was supposed to be last uh, the week prior to uh, podcast episode. Uh, without, you know, any real detail, it just wouldn't work. And the topic that they were going to talk about while it was still hot in the press was about Harry and Meghan and their interview with Oprah and like, you know, kind of given the, the the tea, if you will, the British tea on that whole situation. And our follow-up to that conversation, which what we're going to have now <laughs> is going to be had with uh, my best friend, Caleb, who I'll formally introduce in a moment. And we're talking on the subject of interracial marriage. So this one might feel a little bit out, different out of sorts from what we usually record, but uh, we're going to jump right into it. I'll introduce Caleb and then we'll jump into our hot and cold. So Caleb, nice to have you on the show, my man. It is a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Caleb is an avid listener as of the last 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think I listened to the first. I listened to a couple in between then and now and uh and i listened to last week hey i ain't mad at you you're listening so that's cool um yeah. just real quick uh again kale's my best friend you guys have heard me cite his name and Artie's name and a couple other people out there you know brian is not my only friend out in the world as some people may believe but uh kale's been my ride or die since i think we we're about 13 or so 13 or 14 which has been a hot minute so yeah. Uh, shared many a life experience with Caleb, uh, many an argument, many a cry, many a laugh, <laughs> you know, many a life-threatening and death-defying experience. We've had plenty of those, but nevertheless, we're here. We're both married, yeah. and we both can share on this subject. So, yeah, uh, you got anything you want to say to the fans that you're on the show? No, other than it is a pleasure to be here. Um, I think we gave Indiana Jones a run for his money back in our heyday. <laughs> we had many adventures, uh, some of which you were brought along forcefully, not yep. by choice. Um, <laughs> so let me officially on the uh, podcast just apologize for all the times <laughs> that I uh, forced you <laughs> to go on said adventures that were really more or less uh, my own personal shenanigans. Yep, I was trapped, nevertheless. But here we are. Uh, we're going to jump right into our week. So, uh, Caleb, we do a segment called Hot and Cold. Uh, you know, obviously, sip on this with Jay and Chris. Hot drink, cold drink. You know how it is. So, uh, mm -hmm. we're going to give our you know peak of the week, and we're also going to go into our pit of the week. So, if you'd like, I will go first, just so you've got something to, 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 to work on and formulate if you need to take a moment to think about how your week went. So, my hot for the week um, has been two things. One... Uh, my daughter has been nonstop walking, it feels like, since, uh, I mean, really just the last four or five days. It really hit wow. its peak. So, you know, 
no surprise here for the Sippers. I'll tell you, we're recording on Monday night prior to this launching um, on Tuesday. So that means that yesterday for me was Easter Sunday. So um, my daughter had these little shoes on that were completely flat. And it's the first time she's ever worn shoes. And that just gave her all this liberty to want to walk around like, hey, I own the place. Like, I'm going to walk here. I'm going to walk there. And now today she's just been walking all over the place too. So um, their birthday is right around the corner. No, no joke, like literally right around the corner. And uh, it's just cool to see her walking around. The second thing you all know, I'm a big movie nerd um, and I'm sure Kristen will chuckle at this one, but went to see uh, actually with Caleb and some other friends went to go see uh, Godzilla versus Kong uh, in the Dolby. The only way you should see it, you should watch this movie on the biggest screen possible. Do not fall for HBO Max's tricks and wiles and such just crap you don't watch that on a phone you don't watch it on a tablet you watch that for the first time on the largest screen you can because it is and with the best mega sound goodness. with the best sound oh it's such 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 a good fun movie i love the whole series some of you might be like oh giant monsters but you'll come around you will come around <laughs> uh, and then my cold for the week really this is like you know my quote-unquote hell week if you will for work uh, wrapping up end of the quarter, wrapping up end of our fiscal year. So just uh, tons of work to be done, uh, working with our CEO and getting him prepared for like our all company meeting, which is still virtual. So that adds its own flavor to it. As some of you know, um, just with COVID and uh, yeah, I'm just working toward Friday and can't wait for it to get here. Um, but yeah, here we are. Caleb, what's your hot goal for the week? I thought your cold was you talking about your daughter walking. I figured that was the um, cold because of all the (laughs) mayhem that is going to ensue uh, now that she's up on her feet. I I um, thought about it, but I was like, "Uh, you know, it's nice because you have to think about this. Every time I transport them in the house, I have to carry them both. Like you can't just leave one and then do like a (laughs) A trip, B trip. You have to carry them both. And like one of them's trying to like touch the other one. The other one's like trying to touch your face. It's just like, if I can hold your hand and we walk down the hallway and all I have to do is carry Everett, albeit he is the heavier one. Uh, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do it every chance I can. But I will say this now that Everett has his glasses and, you know, the sippers are keen to, to that whole announcement already. Um, he finally mm-hmm. got his glasses and everything. He's been like pulling himself up and trying to stand more frequently, which I guess is like equilibrium or like, you know, depth of field, whatever you would want to call it. I guess it's coming in check. So long as he don't start walking at the exact same time, we're good. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I uh, think my hot for the week is I got to play uh, guitar uh, in our worship team for Easter service uh, this nice. past Sunday. So that was a good moment for me. Um, just a good healing moment with music i've kind of stayed away from music a little bit the pandemic has kind of really had an uh reverse effect on me as a bit of a musician i don't know that i call myself a professional by any means but as somebody who loves music let, let me have you pump the brakes right there my, my friends yep. my fellow sippers Kristen, when she listens to this episode caleb's in a band they are on yeah. apple music <laughs> they're called bazooli <laughs> Pretty yeah. sure they've got two albums out. So like here we yeah, are. One, one single, um, one single actually. Okay. Well <laughs> I appreciate the plug. I do, but if I may, I'll just say that the pandemic also put a damper on the album. Um we are starting a second album. 
the first album is finished and that has not been put out because of the pandemic. We want to be able to tour uh, the you know tri-state area um, when we release the album, and we can't really do that right now. Um, but thank you again for the plug. I appreciate that. So yeah, just as a musician, um, I can't I can't connect with music in the same way. So I say all that to say that this past week playing in worship, um, you know, in, in my opinion, you know, the most uh, intimate way to play music, um, playing in connection uh, with others in worship of God is really, it just doesn't get any better. Um, so for me, it was really good. Uh, I think uh, my cold is, it sounds really <laughs> silly. Uh, it probably sounds like mo- most people are like, man, if that's your cold, you're having a pretty good week. Um, but I've just not been getting hardly any sleep. Um, just for your listeners, um, my wife is pregnant and it Join seems the club. Like, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. It's, Everybody yeah. who talks on this podcast recently is pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, and, and I actually wanted to listen to the uh, the baby episode from just a couple weeks back. I, I saw that today, and I was like, ooh, I'm going to put that in my queue. I'm going to listen to that later. Um, but yeah, my wife is pregnant. Her name is Anna, um, and she is just the one of the toughest people um, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually that I've ever met, and this first trimester has really pushed her to her limits and uh it seems like every night uh we wake up and she's in pain or nauseated not sleeping comfortably and i wake up with her and and it just seems like every night we're doing something and i'm just not sleeping well which is actually okay with me you know in the long run like i said if that's the worst thing that's going on you've had a pretty good week right but uh i'm okay with it because I'll be ready when the baby gets here. I'll be used to the, the, to the Batman schedule. That's what I'm going to call it. I don't know schedule. if your listeners know how big of a comic book fan you are, um, but <laughs> the, the Batman... If they don't know, <laughs> do they know? now they know. <laughs> yeah, they ought to know. But the Batman schedule is from uh, the Batman comics. The, the Batman comics talks about like Alfred um, criticizing Bruce Wayne for not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, he, and he cues Alfred in that like, a decade ago, he went to like some random country like he does and finds some master like Sherpa of whatever mixed martial art or like whatever, whatever ancient form of like meditation he's trying to get into. He found, he found some guy who taught him how to like operate on like three hours of sleep. So I'm just trying to get on the Batman schedule and be ready for the baby. So I'm cool with it. Well, you can't wear a mask with a beard. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll pull it all together here soon. But uh, not bad, hot and colds. I thought you were going to say something about your car, but no, nah, that was a bit of a bummer. But you know, it, your listeners don't know me, but I am so used to cars malfunctioning. I'm used to machines in general just <laughs> no. malfunctioning around me. Y'all, when a car sees Caleb approaching, it speeds off. <laughs> it starts on its own like some Herbie fully loaded type of mess, <laughs> and just speeds off in the other direction because it knows. It may not make it out this trip. For for context, every vehicle I've ever owned has broken down, not once, 
but several times. Yes. Every vehicle I've ever owned has broken down several times. It is awful. Yeah. So the common denominator being my best friend. So okay. now we've gotten some of our updates, you know, out of the way. We're going to tell you guys what we're sipping on. So Caleb, as our guest, I'll let you go first. What, tell the good hey. people what you're sipping on tonight. Thanks, man. I appreciate the privilege of sharing proof. I uh, make myself a stronger version of this every morning, but every now and again in the evening, I like to make a lighter version. Um, so I don't know if you guys are are hip to uh, Chameleon Coffee, but Chameleon Coffee is sold at Target, um, and my wife is a team lead at Target, uh, and she gets you know she gets the, got the, the discount. Plug. Yeah, she got, got the plug. She gets the discount, so uh, we get that. Um, and then I, I, what I do is I do one part, you know, feeling coffee um, that is, you know, like concentrate. Um, comes in a glass bottle, and then I pour that in with uh, like four parts oat milk and goat milk. That's because no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I do it. I do it. Been best friends this long. I know when I know when you're looking for a good pun. Um, no, it, oat milk is my favorite now. Dairy just doesn't sit well with me as good as it used to. Mm. Um, and then, if I may add, I guess I put in a little splash. <laughs> I put in a little splash of vanilla extract for flavor. <laughs> oh, you, you're like right on. Uh, you know, Kristen's bead there. She usually her mm. go-to is a yeah. Little diet coke with a pump of vanilla, you know. She likes she likes to live on the edge. So, no, that's good. I'm sippers. You you know me. I've been obsessed with body armor. So there's no surprise they need to just like sponsor our podcast because I drink this stuff way too much. But fruit punch super drink over here, some body armor fruit punch. So going for that superior hydration tonight, knowing that we're gonna have a lot of words to be spoken, a lot of talking to be talked. So you're that still, being you're still trying to push out kidney stones. That's that's why you're. Drinking the body armor so much. Yes, you're, you're, um, still, you're still trying to push out. I'll give marbles. miniature update because I was going to save it for the next pod with Kristen, but <laughs> your boy has not people. your boy has not passed anything. So oh, to no. be continued. If you want to know more about the Kidney Stone Saga, tune into the next episode. So oh, that being said, let's dive right in. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know this topic came to mind after the uh, you know infamous or very famous now. Uh, Harry and Meghan interview with Oprah, you know, obviously them being an interracial couple, obviously being from two different countries on top of that, there are a lot of dynamics, there are a lot of things that get spoken about them and, you know, not to parallel our marriages side by side, but um, to give you all the lay of the land, you all have heard my wife on the podcast before, obviously I'm an African-American male, Uh, she's white, Caleb's white, if you can't tell by the sound of his voice, Good on you if you don't, because that means I guess you don't see color, but I'm not going to keep going on that joke. Uh, and his wife is African-American as well. So um, obviously, you know, black and white in our country today, there's a lot of things that happen there. But what do those challenges look like for a couple, a married couple, dating couple uh, in those shoes? So we're going to just share a little bit about what that looks like for us, you know, maybe how we um, manage it. You know, how do we, uh, you know get through some of those those tougher conversations if we've had to have them so uh we'll jump right in and caleb i'll let you uh just kind of share a little bit more about anna you've already kind of mentioned her being a team lead at target and being your plug for all things chameleon cafe uh but tell us a little bit more about you know how'd you guys meet (laughs) all that good stuff yeah absolutely um anna is definitely my rock 
Um, she and I met briefly at actually some of the Jalen and, and my friends like get together. Um, they are a mutual friend uh, with, you know, between us and Anna. Um, and, you know, they invited Anna, they invited us. So I'm pretty sure you were there that night, Jalen. But basically, you know, we all got invited to this get together. And Anna was invited and her sister was invited. And to kind of make this quick, basically, um, I did not notice Anna that night. <laughs> I did, like, apparently I met her. Apparently I was introduced, but no recollection. I, knowing Anna, I'm waiting for her to go, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, no, she, she really does hate this story because of that. Um, but here's why I don't remember her. And, and, and this is the way I tell the story. I don't remember her because when the get together was like indoor soccer and her sister is a tank. Like, and I'm not talking, I'm not making a joke. Like she's not like a tank in stature, but she's just very strong. Like this person, her name is Abigail. One of the naturally strongest people I've ever met. And she was on the opposite team. I was like playing forward. And I remember I was just gonna like, take that ball right up the middle of the field and I was going to score on whoever was playing bully. Um, and out of nowhere, man, I'm six foot two, 230 pounds at the time. And Abigail at like five foot five, five foot six. She trucked you. And yeah, like a, like a, like 140 pounds. I can confirm. I wasn't there. <laughs> okay. You weren't there. 140 pounds soaking wet, this this young lady just ran me over. And I mean, if if the rest were there, she would have got a red card, no doubt. Like Easily. I was an ejection. I would have did my best Cristiano Ronaldo impression, my best <laughs> LeBron James impression. I would have just gonna flop all over the place like a wounded animal. But I <laughs> the point is that I got I got ran over. I got I got or she would have at least had a yellow card. And um I got the wind knocked out of me, man. <laughs> I hit my head. Like, I didn't remember much of anything that night. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but, no, that's how we got connected. And then, you know, Anna and I connected on social media and kind of, like, we're, like, touch and go on social media for a few years. And after I kind of got my head on straight and started being serious about just life in a general sense um, and stopped looking so hard for things, you know, uh, her and I just connected and uh, started talking about music, of all things. And it, 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 I mean, the rest is history. You know, we're, yeah. we're here he now. Gets, we see her at a uh, church function, right? She comes and visits. Did not expect him to see her, might I add, but that's a story for another time. Prior to this and her showing up, you know how you guys, you, you talk to somebody, you hang out with people, and then you start seeing people that they know, and you're like suggested friends. Well, this Anna Ray Bell starts like showing up in my suggested friends. Like every time on Facebook, I'm like, who is this chick? Like she looks kind of familiar. I see like the mutuals. I'm like, usually I'm the kind of person who's like, if we have 20 plus mutual friends, I'm probably going to send you a friend request. Like genuinely. Like if it's not like a bunch of like B or C list people that I'm like cool with, if that would be like a weird happenstance. It was just a bunch of C list people. And those are all 20 mutuals. I'm probably not going to request you, so don't get excited out there, Sippers. But <laughs> if we got some A, some B, some C players in there, you know, I'm probably shooting you the request. And she was one of those people I was just like, eh, whatever, keep moving. Never heard anything ever. So she gets there that night. And after that, Caleb's like, 
bro, she's so much like you. It's ridiculous. Oh, like, no, don't yeah, say yeah. that. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. Essentially, he was like, you like LeBron James. She likes LeBron James. You both do that thing, like, when you're upset. And, like, he just started going down. Like, so, like, were you look, secretly looking to date me at some oh, point in time no. in your life? And you found it in your significant <laughs> other now? But, you know, that's just my first and earliest memories of Caleb. And I have Atlanta. to say, that sentence started off with, you would like her. She's a lot like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> you did say that. Um, oh, so that, that being said, you know, you said you were talking about music. What was, what was the first date like? What you, would you guys date over? <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, the first, it was really not a date. I mean, it was kind of, and like most of mine and Naomi's relationship together, it wasn't the most conventional thing. It wasn't the most, the most traditional thing. I didn't really ask her on a date. You know, I just asked her if she'd like to get together and, and hang out and just talk about um, things that we were passionate about that we had connected over. Music was obviously one of those, but um, where we were both at, you know, in our, in our spiritual uh, journey, that was really important. Um, so yeah, we, we actually went and got sushi um, in Covington, Kentucky. Uh, and I'll go ahead and plug it because I think they have great sushi. We went and got sushi at Wabi Sabi there on uh, Madison. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're gonna to, if you're gonna go to Madison, you need to just go to Riverside Korean and just do yourself a favor. No, dude. No, listen. I mean, there's another there's another place there now. Called Amerasia that's also really good. Yeah. Uh, Kung food. I'm pretty Kung sure they're kitchen Amerasia. Fire or something. Oh, don't say that. I mean, no, they're open, <laughs> but I mean, they were they were closed for a hot minute. I'm pretty sure because we went there for. I lunch think in the restaurant business, most people's kitchen probably catches on fire like once a week. Yeah, I'm just they gonna just let you get to your story. I'm just gonna let you get to your story. <laughs> yeah, I I have to I have to rabbit trail a little bit, um, but no, yeah. So to come back to the story, just. We met up at Wabi Sabi at Sushi, um, and it was funny. We talked about, like, hey, let's let's meet from, like, 11 to 12. And I remember I was just coming from, like, a meeting that we had on a Saturday morning, I think, at, like, church or something. And I had brought the leftover donuts <laughs> to, to Sushi. So we, like, appetized with the donuts. Um, and then we wound up, you know, like I said, we said like 11 to 12, we wound up not leaving Wabi Sabi until like 3 p.m. So we oh, talked wow. for like four, four hours. The yeah, first that ain't easy to do. Out. And, uh, and then we went and, and gave our donuts away. Um, it, yeah, it was a great time. You didn't give like half eaten donuts away, did you? No, no, of course not. No, <laughs> no. And, and if, and if, I mean, if you know me, you know that there's no such thing as a happy. That's true. It's just a donut. That That's been eaten. <laughs> I'm going to put it away. <laughs> no, I feel that. Um, just as a refresher for our, our sippers, you know, if you want more detail about how I met Courtney and all that stuff, you go back to one of our earlier episodes where myself and Kristen invite our spouses on and we kind of talk that whole thing. But um, me and Courtney met back in, I guess that was 2014, 2013. Um, when she came into college again, same kind of thing was not interested in old girl. Didn't remember. I did remember meeting her, but like, it wasn't like a, Oh, you're on my radar sort of thing. Uh, fast forward. I'm supposed to work during, uh, the summer, uh, at NKU 
doing orientation stuff. She was going to be a part of the new staff that was coming in. So um, at that point in time, it just worked itself out that I would just be able to work full time through the summer at the job that I had during the school year, which was Apple. Um, and, it, you know, if you're putting yourself through school, you, you got to make some money. A good summer stipend is cool and all. But, you know, when you got the chance to work up to almost 40 hours full time, uh, $17 an hour sounds pretty darn sweet. So I uh, ended up not pursuing that. Um, and she kept in touch. And really the first time we hung out, just us was me and her and two other people were playing sand volleyball at NKU. And then I was like, Hey, anybody want to go get ice cream? Just happened. I had just left an early work shift. And uh, here's this sandy, no shoe wearing country bumpkin that hops into my car, love her to death. And who knew <laughs> from there, she was going to be my ride or die forever. Yeah. So um, I, I, I have a question for you, Caleb, just, you know, understanding, you know, the dating and the connection that you and Anna had early on, that was pretty strong. When did you, when did you know Anna was the one that you wanted to, to be with potentially Mary? Yeah, man. So I think we have something in common, you and I, uh, we just don't know a good thing when we see it. (laughs) Otherwise we really just would have went all in when we first met Courtney and Anna. Um, but I say that to say Anna and I uh, had been dating for about a month. And by this point, I had known that she worked for a local nonprofit. Um, and they were like in the school system in the Northern Kentucky area. And, you know, she got to meet a lot of kids, like, and, and work a lot of different cases, you know, it was pretty much social work for a nonprofit. And um, I think, I think at one point she said she was running like 48 cases in the Northern Kentucky area. And that's a big caseload. Like that's a lot of kids to, to be yeah, running. That's no so, joke. Yeah. And there's only so many of those are on like the home visit list, you know, but and the point is, is that she had this big heart, you know, and she really loved kids. And we were in the Newport area one night, um, walking there on the levee and uh, this group of kids, a uh, few girls, I think had, you know, seen Anna from afar off. And it was almost like, she's like this lighthouse, this like shining beacon because I'm like not exaggerating. They have been like a good 40 yards away and they see her amongst all these other people there at the levee. I mean, this is pre pandemic. So like <laughs> there's plenty of people at the levee <laughs> and they yell her name. They're like, Anna! And they, like, run towards her. And if you know Anna, like, she just, like, locks up and tensed up, you know? Like those um, plastic water bottles with the kinks, like, bottlenecks. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> And they, you know? And she, um, she just, like, sits there. And they all just, like, surround her and hug her and tell her how good it is to see her. Um, because it was, you know, like, uh, almost the end of the school year at that point. So they weren't seeing much of her. And that was kind of when I knew like all the things she had told me were the real deal about how big, you know, her heart is and like how much she cares about these kids and how much she wants to be changed in the community that she's in. Um, and how much she wants to see kids who have broken home situations and, um, you know, just things that kids shouldn't have to deal with things that children shouldn't have to even know. Um, she, she just wanted to be a part of that change and, and see the, the hope brought into the community. And when these kids saw her and 
ran to her. Um, it, to me, that was just everything I needed to know. Yeah, you, you nailed it right on the head when you said, uh, obviously, us missing a good thing when we first see it. But um, uh, similar things on my end where, you know, Courtney working with children uh, and just being a really, you know, open and selfless individual from Jump Street um, was definitely just like, you know, the alarms kind of went off in my head and be like, that's that's who I want to be with. So um, I know you said you, you and Anna's relationship is a little, you know, not the normal kind of non-traditional, you know, getting together and whatnot. Um, <laughs> I want to, I want to talk about a question. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let you get through it before I, I give any follow-up questions. Uh, but when did, when did you guys get married and what, what did that look like? <laughs> okay. So we have been intentionally like dating um, and pursuing one another for about, 11 months, you know, just shy of a year. And we got really serious into this conversation about marriage. And we even, you know, started planning a wedding. Um, and then we kind of looked around and, and we're like, oh, geez, like, you know, this wedding thing is a lot. And uh, we, we both come from really big families. So to even, and I'm talking about like immediate family, our brothers, our sisters, you know, and they're respective families and then our parents and I mean just that alone our two yeah. families combined you're looking at be, least 40 people or yeah, not 40 was, people yeah. <laughs> closer no, I guess it was if everybody bring, 60. 60 yeah I was about to say when you really count everybody's kids and stuff yeah it was closer to 60 people and you, I mean your listeners are probably like doing the math like what in the world but it's just the truth I mean she's one of 12 and I'm one of seven um so it, yeah, we just realized really quick how expensive this would be. You know, that wasn't including our friends and extended family. So uh, we were like, hey, uh, you know, what if what if we just got married? What if we just go do it? You know, and I remember I kind of I think I brought up the idea um, originally. And it was very quick and passing, you know, it wasn't very serious. And then she kind of brought it back up again and was like, hey, what if we really do that? And uh, the next time that we both had a day off work together. Uh, <laughs> we just went and did it. We went down to the courthouse and got a license and went and saw a justice of the peace uh, in the um, city of Cheviot. Is that what it is? It's like a township of Cheviot here in Cincinnati. Uh, and we got married. On I didn't a, know on that Monday. detail. Yeah, on a Monday, man, of all things, on a Monday. So, follow-up questions. And y'all already know all these details, but you know, I just I have to do it to him while he's on the pod. Uh, who all who all were present for you, for your marriage? <laughs> so we asked uh, our two friends who were readily available at that moment. Readily? Um, uh, no, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> they were they were literally downtown at that moment. They just happened to be downtown, uh, and their names are Sam and Mariah and Sam and Mariah, uh, you know, they were already married and yeah, we, we, we called them and they met us, you know, uh, so, at the courthouse. So sippers, just so you know, Sam Mariah is not code name for Jalen and Courtney, not the Courtney really nope. needs the matter in this situation, but I gave <laughs> Caleb so much flack when I finally found out. Cause this is, this is the kicker y'all. So now that I know there's Chevy information, I feel like I have more ammunition to be like, really? But oh, we'll, we'll just describe that. 
So your boy tells us, and I'm sitting there like beside myself. Not that I'm upset because I love him and I love Anna, but it was like I missed out on my dude's day. Like, you know, he's obviously there for mine. He, you know, he was co-best man, but technically lead best man because Artie didn't even want to take the the title, but he was my best whoa, man. Whoa, and I was whoa, like, hold on. Wait, I whoa. was never, never, ever the co-best man. Okay. I think I single on the record planned. I, okay. On, on the record, you both gave a speech as best men. So that is true. He did have a, he did have a better speech as well. It was more entertaining, but we'll, we'll let Kristen decide. She was there. But your boy, he's like, yeah, I'm like, what day was this? And he said, oh, it was the 11th or whatever month that he's talking about. And I was like, hmm. So I sit there, I look at my phone. You guys know an iPhone, you know, it gives you a little dot when you look at the month calendar. It shows you all those dots where days are you got stuff. Guess what? One single day didn't have a dot on it. The 11th. And I was just like, bro, I could have been there. I was doing nothing important, but I've forgiven him for it. I just like to give him him crap. So I had to do that. I have no doubt that uh, if I would have called, you would have been there. No Bro, doubt. I would have found a way to roll up with a stretch limousine just to make things happen for y'all. Like I would have, I would have done something. I would have done yeah. something, but it's all good. It's all in the past. I'm happy that they're married and love them to death. So, um, you know, moving on, just talking some of the differences and challenges now that people have the backstory about you guys. Um, you know, was this your first interracial dating experience? Had you looked at, you know, when, when people look at it as a you know, black and white issue, was it ever a, an attraction that you had outside of dating it within your own race or anything like that pri- prior to Anna? Uh, n- no, it was not my first. Um, you know, I had definitely just, you know, been interested in other girls who happened to be uh, people of color. Um, there was nothing like, there was certainly nothing like too serious. You know, there was never anything too serious where I really got intimate with any of those people. Um, she's definitely, you know, the first person of color that, you know, I had a really intimate relationship with like that. Um, yeah, but I had dated a few girls who were people of color. No, oh, okay. Um, and, and I was the same way when it came to, to really looking for someone. And me and Caleb can both attest to this. Um, when we did get into, you know, any real relationship, um, you know, there's only real, really one goal in mind. That was, you know, is this someone that I can see myself building a future with someone I can marry, um, you know, not trying to waste each other's time or anything like that. So I, you know, when it came to Courtney, she was not the first, you know, quote unquote white person that I had dated, although I have not really seriously dated a lot of people. Um, I think that, you know, I guess really just two when it comes to mine, but um, I, I definitely had no qualms on, you know, whether someone was Asian in appearance or black or whatever. I definitely, and this is, you know, my follow-up question and I'm, I'm going to ask you tied to it, um, felt pressure to marry within my own race, just from, you know, not even what society, uh, partly what society would suspect, um, not as a whole, but specifically the black community, um, there is a, a, a stigma more so than I, I really do think, you know, in other you know, races, cultures and things like that uh, to marry your own, so to speak, um, that, you know, when you think of the, the hardships and the things that black people have dealt with in, in this country historically. And even when you think about the context of interracial marriage. Right. You know, there was 
that movie that came out just a few years ago that you know highlighted the those nineteen six that that famous court case in 1960 uh, where this couple got married and essentially they were put on trial um, because of that. And the white man marrying a black woman and, you know, eventually that, that paved the way for, you know, marriages like mine and and Caleb's to exist. So um, it was always kind of a, you know, up upholding black woman by marrying a strong black man sort of thing. And I definitely seen that in, in my own family. Yeah. Caleb. Can I, can I just share something about that fact yeah, you were yeah. talking about back in 19, uh, 1960s when this happened? Um, you know, it, it took until 1967 for that to be recognized as a civil union. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was an ongoing thing. And, and I thought I'd also just add that, uh, like you said, it paved the way. And uh, since then, like since 1967, when it was recognized as a civil union, and they won that case. Um, interracial marriage has multiplied uh, five times over, and now today, 17% of married couples in the United States of America are interracial. Yeah, and it's it's crazy to think, and, and you know, people here in 1960 and probably think, "Wow, it's a long time ago." None of that stuff was really a long time ago. Um, and that movie that I'm citing, Sippers, if you're interested in looking at it. It's called Loving. It came out in 2016, and that couple, Richard and Mildred, were from Virginia, and essentially they were jailed uh, when they, I think they first fell in love, like in 1958. Um, they were jailed there, banished, and eventually, you know, it led to some court cases and ultimately to Supreme Court and leading to that. So, you know, saying that and following up with that, um, did you have any hesitations, even though you had already dated outside of your race? Um, did you ever have any hesitations around dating outside your race or you know, did you feel like there were any friend, uh, you know, any pressures from friends or family um, around that 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 topic? You, yeah, whether whether direct I, or indirect. Right. So this is a kind of a complicated question for me because I don't personally feel any kind of pressure um, from my family, um, but just me as a person personally, I don't feel a lot of pressure from many people around me it's it's just difficult for a person to get that much influence over me i think mom and dad raised me to be pretty independent and just uh have a mind of my own um you know be not be afraid to go against anybody's grain so to speak um sometimes to my detriment you know i step on too many toes but the point is that I did not... Oh, another episode. Yeah, whole another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just didn't care. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. care. Uh, all I knew, you know, was that Anna um, was magic. Yeah. I, I figured you were going to get your Bruno Mar- Bruno's Mars in there somehow. <laughs> it's a beautiful a night, and I'm looking, looking for something dumb to do. I mean, he has a song called, Ma- is it 24K Magic? But before yeah, that, I was thinking yeah. about that, you know, yeah. hey, baby, I think I want to marry you. I, that's that's how I envisioned that conversation with you and Anna, and then you're like, we're going to go to the courthouse. But um, no, I, and not that there, you know, was any pressure, right? But if there was, and, you know, I hear what you're saying, um, that went and affected your decision. I will say on my end, um, it's most of it, you know, again, just thinking about black culture, you know, when I think, you know, barbershop conversation growing up um i did not and i and you know I, I see those interactions where you know if you've ever seen the movie barbershop there's the one white barber that not till the end of the movie one of the other black barbers sits in his chair and he cuts his hair and he's basically like all right you cool like 
and then everybody starts jumping in his chair. And essentially, it's it's kind of that thing, right? Like, can, can like you can walk to walk, you can talk to talk, but are you really are you really going to be cool with us, right? I mean, Caleb, as yeah. my white best friend, has been around my family, and I had a cousin who came over one day after uh, church. Yeah, <laughs> Caleb's already laughing after a church service. Caleb's sitting there, not even dressed up, super fancy, and he's like, Caleb walks in, he's like, "Oh shoot, we about to get audited," you know. So it's stuff like that. <laughs> it's stuff Literally, like that. I was not there. He was there, and I walked in the house. And yeah, he looks over, and all he, he looks sees is a white man in a suit. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh shoot, we're about to get audited." So, like, obviously, he was joking, but you know, there's some some truth, some deeper truths behind that. Um, so, I didn't. I'll say I didn't know how my family would respond to it. Again, I haven't dated a great many people, and at least not to the level of seriousness where you know they got involved and got to meet them. Um, but you know, Courtney was the first that, you know, was around for the brunt of all of it, you know, and her building relationship with my family and with my mom and the independence to, you know, navigate those relationships one-on-one without me being present, uh, was something I did worry about at first, but, you know, very quickly I saw, oh, you know, they love her, which is what I expected, but you know, that healthy, the healthy skepticism. Um, do you, can do I, you, can I oh, go add ahead, to that more? Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I, I don't want to cut you off. I, I just wanted to add on to that. Like, and it, it's just been my experience that there's just not as much resistance in like the, you know, white community to dating outside of your race. Um, I think that's kind of, if, you know, if I can use you know this verbiage, I, it's, to be straightforward, I think it's just a privilege of ours that we, we can do that. Um, because there's not any kind of feelings of like protection around what we have because there's so many white people, you know, there's just so it's like 60, you know, 4% of the population is white now. Um, and you know, I think, I think the, the black population is like 14, maybe 16%. I mean, don't quote me, but like the last time I did some research, that's what I saw. So it doesn't surprise me, you know, when there's a little bit more resistance to dating outside your race um, with, you know, uh, people of color, um, whatever group that may be versus the white community. For sure. No, that makes good sense. Um, just, just following up, you know, I know that you didn't feel any pressure or anything like that, but um, did you feel like at all that Anna ever felt um, like she maybe wasn't accepted, you know, whether it been within friend groups or, um, you know, work circle or fa- even your family even not that that was actually what happened but did she ever have those feelings that you know that you're aware of sure yeah so like i i'm glad you know, were kind of elaborating on that question because the i didn't feel any personal resistance for me you know uh for my family but i definitely was in preparation for like extended family so i was immediately thinking once Anna and I had become very intentional, I remember thinking to myself, there are aunts and uncles that I cannot bring Anna around. Um, not that I wouldn't want to, because I would be, you know, at all ashamed or at all like insecure. For me, I was more than happy, but to protect Anna, to, to keep Anna from that awful kind of you know situation to be in yeah. or encounter ignorance I if you will yeah well sure and, and a lot of it willful mm-hmm. um and a lot of it i mean okay so like ignorance willful ignorance for sure and then some of it simply just aggression you know pent-up aggression uh towards the black community for for some individuals in the family 
Um, and yeah, we just wanted to, I, I just wanted to protect her from that. So yeah. for her though, I, I think she felt, you know, embraced by the immediate family, like mom and dad and her sisters and brothers um, and their respective families. I think Anna definitely felt embraced. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about it. We talked about it then. We talk about it from time to time now. And I think she definitely felt loved and accepted. How about you on your end with her family, you know, looking at the other end of the spectrum? No pun yeah, intended. I, <laughs> yeah. On the other end, I think it, there was there was just as much respect and acceptance and love. Um, you know, for her, I, it, you know, I wasn't the first white guy she had dated either. Um, so it wasn't, you know, anything too abstract for the family. Um, you know, Anna was the first person of color that I brought home to see mom and dad. Um, you know, none of the other girls ever made it that far. Uh, you know, so for our family, that was the first, but for Anna's family, that wasn't really the first. Mm-hmm. Um, some of, you know, her sisters had dated, um, some, you know, white people before. So there was already some acceptance, some embrace. Um, it, but if I can say this, there was definitely like uh, an expectation of, and I'll just kind of let you guys in on, you know, one of the details when her father sat me down for that talk, you know, yep. <laughs> what are your intentions with my daughter kind of talk, the old school talk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just kind of straight up asked me like, as a white guy, like, what are your intentions with Anna? Because I've seen too many white guys, you know, who are just looking to mess around with a young black woman because it's a fad or mm-hmm. white. It's, fe- it's, fetish, it's, it's fetishized a little bit in some absolutely. circles, which was well, one of the things yeah, I was going to get to. Yeah. You definitely took the words right out of my mouth and, and I prepared some stuff for that. So I'm glad we're in sync. It's almost like we've been best friends for a long time. But yeah. So no, yeah. So he, he definitely was just very forward and, and kind of said like, are you know what you're doing here? Do you understand like, you know, all the ins and outs of how problematic this can be. Um, and to clarify that, not that he felt like there was any, uh, yeah, not that there were red flags or anything. Yeah. Not that he was at all resistant to the relationship. Um, but just simply that he understood how a lot of the world or a lot of, you know, how society in America still saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the microaggressions that we would deal with, um, a lot of the outright aggression we would deal with. Um, and he, and he asked me that question. I remember just saying like, I'm not looking to be a white knight in shining armor emphasis on white and trying to save the black princess, you know, like that wasn't me. Right. And, uh, I think that conversation ended well because we were able to really dig deep into that and, and help. I was able to help him understand, you know, that I was aware of those common, you know. Yeah. Questions. Well, it's funny, you know, you bring up father-in-laws and I'll shine some light on my end of the, the, the conversation. Um, I definitely was hesitant uh, to even meet Courtney's family. So again, Sippers, if you haven't listened to the episode, you can get a deeper dive, but the first time that I met Courtney's parents, well, let me back up. Courtney is from Southeastern Kentucky, AKA the middle of nowhere. 
You have to drive about three and a half hours. You have to drive all the way through Daniel Boone National Park to get to about a two stoplight town. And then when you get there and you're on a T-Mobile service like me and that sucker switches over to AT&T, you're like, I don't even have AT&T, but I have to get on AT&T's network for my phone to even work down here. You know, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, upon ignorance and then, you know, playing into some things that maybe are a little bit more far, far-fetched, you know, it wouldn't be more common to see a black person in a small southeastern Kentucky town, like you'd probably yeah. be pretty surprised, right? So you can imagine where maybe some of those presuppositions were in place on my end. So we're on the way down there to meet her family. And it's not just like a, hey, we're just going to take this trip. And then, you know, we're coming back. Like I'm going to be down there for at least two or three days. So we were visiting at Thanksgiving of all times, a time where I usually spend it with Caleb's family. Um, but uh, we're about halfway down. Courtney's actually driving because my car is out of commission. And she just looks at me at one point in time, about an hour out. And she's like, I hadn't told my family you're black. And she either said her, her, her family or she either said her dad, one of the two. Uh, and I was just like, what? <laughs> you know, like I just, I went, what? Uh, and I joke, I've told this story on the power before, but I joke, I was like, bro, before Get Out came out, that was me. Like, not that Get those out. things happened, but I was Get legit. Out. I gave them the freaking premise of that like <laughs> bro i'm gonna end up there everything's gonna look cool and then next thing you know i can't escape these people are crazy but obviously that didn't happen um you know some assumptions on both ends courtney was really afraid that her father was you know secretly racist and things like that and um not that he ever did anything outright in front of her she just never saw you know that much on the other end which you probably can't because there's I mean, she said there was maybe one black kid that, in town and he was an exchange student or a high school of all places for like a year or something like that. Um, but outside of that, you know, you didn't see that unless you went to Lexington or somewhere like that. So um, I get there and, you know, me and him are having not that talk, but just the, you know, I call it the sniffing butts phase where it's like, are you a cool guy? Or like before we even get there. And like, I surprised him because I'm sure for his, his end of the deal is like, I've never probably had a black man in my house, you know, and, I, and you have to think about these things like around here, like, it's not like Anna's family never saw white people. And it's not like your family never saw black people. Like it went like whole otherworldly when you get down there. So, um, you know, I hold the moniker of being the first black person ever walk into a house. It's not because they weren't welcome, but it's just because there's, that's just not who's around. So uh, we had our conversation. I think I surprised him more than he surprised me with, just the nature of our conversation. Obviously you can't really judge a book by a cover, but who would think that some at the time, 21 year old or 20 year old, well, I think I was 20, I was 20, 20 year old would have a deep fascination with Western movies and could call them out. And we could talk about these things as if I was there in, in 1970 something when Clint Eastwood was walking around acting like a bad man or Yul Brenner, like no one, no one expects that. And so he definitely expected, and, you know, it created a great friendship. And I, you know, I think I'm his favorite child. Like I will contest that with anyone. I even tell Courtney, I was like, I think your dad likes me more than you. And I feel bad, but I do believe it. Um, but I say all that because, you know, I did have some predispositions and presuppositions of, you know, what each other's family or even cultures, if you will, uh, were like. And I want to ask you, did any of your, you know, pre-assumptions change or were confirmed upon, you know, getting to know Anna's family? Well, anything that you thought might be a hurdle, essentially. Well, I probably couldn't use Tombstone to soothe over or smooth over my father-in-law like you did. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I do feel like 
in a general sense, as a white person growing up in American society, because so many, you know, person of color groups are marginalized um, and disenfranchised, you're just not exposed to the, the culture and the differences, you know, between, for example, just a, a white nuclear, you know, family home and then a, a black nuclear family home. There is differences. There are things that you teach your kids as a, as a black parent with, you know, a, a black co-parent and your children. There's things that you teach them about life, about survival, about your, you know, your social interactions. Um, well, I, I'll stop I, you there. I think it's sure. a difference of uh, raising children to survive in some circles versus raising children to live. When you think about yeah. the two differences between those, those kinds of families, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and man, I mean, that's a, that's a very loaded statement. Um, I appreciate you mentioning that because that's huge. I mean, so yeah, I mean, like there's, there's so many differences um, and you're just not exposed as a white person. I think a lot of us are just ignorant. Um, we're just ignorant or we're willfully ignorant. You know, once you get into your twenties and your thirties, you find out there were just things you just, you're just not paying attention to um, because like you said, there's a difference between teaching your kids to survive and teaching your kids to like thrive. Um, and it's not that, you know, black parents aren't trying to teach your kids to thrive too and, and, and uh, you know, have happy, fulfilling lives. It's just that in a world where a lot of things are going against them, you know, in a world where racism exists and there are people who won't consider you for whatever position um, of authority or job or what have you because of your skin color, because of what you may look like uh, to them. Um, you know, they just teach them how to deal with those things. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm being set up for success. And, you know, the, there's just different strokes. Um, I think that's a television show, isn't it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, different... <laughs> Di yes. Anyway, I'm this kidding. man. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but, uh, yeah, there's just different strokes, man. And I, for me, um, there was just a lot to learn even still. Growing up uh, in a community that was, you know, I, at least my small portion of the neighborhood was not all white. I mean, it was really, I mean, it's like once you cross a certain street, you just, you were in a black neighborhood, you know? Um, and then when you came back on the other side of, the, of that street, you were in the like still kind of white and black neighborhood. It was not all white folks. Um, so even in growing up in that and like having, a best friend um, you know, came from a black family uh, who, you know, himself is black. Um, through all that, you still have a lot to learn because they're living it every day, you know, and, and, and I'm just not. So, yeah, there was definitely some things that were, were learned, um, you know, to be vulnerable, to be just to throw it out there. There were some things that I feel like I needed to understand about what it meant um, not to be black, socially um that you know, not to say that i don't have things to learn of course there's a, a ton to learn there what i mean is that something that i misunderstood it wasn't a social thing i felt like i had read up enough on like being black socially um 
what I had to learn was like there are really truly no scientifically like provable like there's no shred of evidence that says like for example a black person is more athletic than a white person um and I'm being vulnerable because I feel like I feel like there it needs to be said so that some white folks who may be listening can check themselves and say hey don't be like Caleb <laughs> um don't be like this kind of you know, white person. Uh, and I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like that lady from Coca-Cola who's like, don't be white, <laughs> but uh, definitely just don't assume things, you know, without re- doing any research and, and looking into it um, based on skin color. You know, that was a, an opinion of mine. I was like, well, I think that, you know, black folks are just superior athletically. I think it's something that I can just see. Um, and that really hurt my relationship with my wife. Uh, we, we had already been married and it was very unsettling for her because she was like we're married and you don't understand this <laughs> like, what is going on and it took like a long conversation and a lot of patience from her and a lot of like love and compassion over my ignorance and over my arrogance to like even argue um, to get me to that point where I was like, I'm so sorry. You know, I don't know why I thought that. Um, right. And right. I began to unearth the thing. Mm, no, that's, yeah, that's deep. I'll say, uh, you know, and, and not to constantly make it a black and white issue. Obviously we're brought for our experiences, but yeah, I had some things to understand on Courtney's end of the spectrum. Um, especially around just her family. And, you know, I was worried too, just going back to a previous thought of, I wasn't so much worried about the immediate family at that point in time, because every time I visited, you know, we're talking, there's three or four months in between. It's not like you always go down there and, you know, can hang out with people when you want to, like everybody's all spread out. So um, there were certain family members and things I didn't meet until a year, almost two years out knowing her. And, you know, by the time we got married, you know, or about a year before we got married, there are people that I was just then meeting that, you know, lived on the same super long road that she's, that her her parents live on, but I just never got the chance to meet them. So I always did worry about, you know, the, the ripple effects of people who aren't in that particular home. Um, And I'm glad that it did not turn out the way that I was, you know, maybe preparing for in some circumstances, especially, you know, going to a funeral for one of her uncles, you know, you just never know how certain people may respect you or expect you, Um, which leads me into the next question um, before we move on to the the next part of our conversation. Um, Had you ever, have you ever felt, you know, whether it was friends or peers or just, you know, any group that you've been in, uh, racial inconsideration or insensitivity, particularly to you and your wife or, you know, a situation dealing with you all. And I'll give you a moment to, to chew on that and I'll share one of mine. Um, and you're, you're aware of this one. And it's probably the most out front that I've ever experienced being with my wife and that we were at church of all places. And this is not to put my church out there because this person was not a member. And I'll repeat, they were not a member of our church. They were visiting, um, but someone that I knew who had visited and uh, you know, me and my wife were sitting together. I probably had my arm on the pew behind her or something like that. Or we were sitting together, but uh, this gentleman makes a comment to an older, one of our older ladies in the back of the sanctuary and says, you know, pretty much, you know, how disgusting that is, or, you know, what's wrong with them essentially for a young black man, young white woman being together. Um, But little did he know that the woman he was talking to, the white woman he was talking to was married to a black man. Uh, He just wasn't there that day. And uh, you know, she took, of course, you know, she took great pause of that and, you know, alerted our pastor, which is Caleb's dad 
And and like immediately after that service, and I keep this all in mind, y'all. I had no idea about this. He calls a meeting with all the men in our church, not this guy in particular. I guess he had already had a conversation with him. Um, but he had a meeting with all the men, brought him downstairs. It's like super serious. I'm like, man, what's he? He's about to like step down or something. Like I I didn't know what to expect. And then, you know, he says, you know, someone informed me of this individual who, you know, I thought was, you know, a, a, a visitor, you know, a friend of our church community um, who said this and this to one of our members. And, you know, he just kind of stopped. And I, I go to a predominantly white church, y'all. I should probably fill you all in on that. Uh, beside my family and, you know, a handful of visitors and people that we've, you know, great relationships in our community, um, there's majority white people in my church. Um, so I'm the one black guy in a room full of white men where this conversation is being had. And he's like, look, this is what they said. I don't agree with that. I told him he's not welcome back here unless he gives an apology to you and to your, to your girlfriend at the time, um, to our church. And then of course, you know, you know, he makes those things right. Even then, um, he said, I would have to strongly consider inviting him back. Um, and then from there, like the floodgates kind of opened of all these other men around the room who are just like, you know, we do love you. And we're sorry that this is something that happened on our watch. And, you know, I was shook. I'm not gonna lie. I was shook. Cause I was like, I didn't expect that to happen. You know, of all places, you know, you're at church, you're focusing on certain things and not to you know, assume that everybody that goes to church is a, a good person or anyone that sits in the church building is a good person. But my point being, you know, that was the first time I was like super aware that regardless of where you are, whether it is Southeastern Kentucky or wherever there are still people who, you know, look through that lens who are maybe raised that way um, that just aren't with it. And that a gentleman was old enough to, to be around where, you know, that movie we referenced in 1960 was around for that to still be maybe taboo when he was younger and growing up um, as odd as that may sound. So uh, that's been, that's been my, part of my personal experience is, you know, someone being, you know, racially inconsiderate or insensitive uh, toward me and my, and my now wife. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being in that meeting, you know, when I was uh, still attending there, um, <clears throat> there was a lot of tears shed and I think it was really just being brokenhearted about racism. You know, I remember being in the room and you could feel that, that energy. That oh, there was, like, there was a little true, like, I wouldn't even call it attention, but it was a heaviness almost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it just, yeah, it definitely wasn't tension. It was a, a spirit of like brokenness over over that, you know, just like hurting for you. And I think maybe for some of the guys in that room who came from like a, a older generation, and I don't want to, you know, give stigma to like the word older, but like this comes from that generation where like you, like we talked about earlier, 1967 was, you know, when it was recognized as a civil union for an interracial marriage to be a civil union. That wasn't that long ago. A lot of the guys in that room were kids or like teenagers, you know, um, in 1967. So to see them, get broken up and maybe like i said maybe even be like opened up to that reality like oh shoot this is still happening this is still going on this did not end in 1967 because of a legislation because of a piece of paper so it was just really cool to see some guys really you know love on you that way um and, and embrace and support you because it wasn't just awareness you know awareness is still oftentimes just silence in the sky um so to see them openly support and embrace you yeah. and Courtney and your relationship was really cool. Um, for me, I don't know that me and Anna have had to endure too much as a couple, 
Um, and if I may, like, I don't know that like when, when the male in the relationship, because of, you know, gender norms and like things going on in our country still, like we're like, there's a lot of gender role and there's a lot of guys who still like recognize other guys as like alphas or betas, you know, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, some of those, you know, thought processes are still very prevalent. I think when the male is white, you're, you're not the male, the male in the relationship, you mean? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. When the male in the relationship in the interracial relationship is white, no matter, you know, what the other partner is, whether they're Latina or, um, you know, black, uh, you know, Asian, whatever it may be. Um, when the male is white, there is kind of a respect almost demanded in a social way. Like you don't get to say the certain things that you might say to a black man or another man of color and his wife who is white um, because of how women are so kind of disrespected for being women um, and how men are revered, you know? So we haven't had to deal with so much up front, like to our faces um, in terms of like racism, maybe. Uh, but like, if I can kind of speak to this, and this is a little bit of a different, you know, topic. And I, I don't know this, this probably still counts for what you're asking. We definitely got a lot of looks like when we first started dating and this was only 2018, like, and, and every now and again, we still get some looks, but we got a lot of looks from other black men, like almost, mm-hmm. you know, that race traitor thing where like, yeah, Anna, that, that's not okay for you, but it's okay yeah, for me kind of thing. Unwritten. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Unwritten rule. It's kind of like tribalistic thinking mm-hmm. like you know you're supposed to stay in your group why are you with mm-hmm. him that hurts our community yeah. um you know just like and they, and they make assumptions about me probably like man he's probably not even treating you right he probably um you know thinks saying the n-word is cool or whatever like it's just those thoughts and a lot of those things i don't blame them for like i'm sure it comes up from a place of hurt it probably comes from a lot of wounds well, as you said, as we talked about earlier, you know, there's a particular family unit. And I mean, even just the black community in America growing up, it's inundated, like whether we saw it or not. And I can think of so many things that I was told and, you know, made to understand growing up that I never really saw from myself and were never true for myself, but yet I was still being prepared to be equipped with information wise. So, you know, like, like, as you're saying, you know, some of that comes from that too it's almost like a tribal yeah. protection sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and then just that idea, like uh, that idea of race trader being cast on Anna, mm-hmm. like as if she's supposed to feel like, you know, she has to, to date somebody of her own race. And, and that's in a lot of, you know, different races. It's in, it's in the white community too. Um, you know, you, you do feel like, Hey, we should just stick with our own. You and I have had to deal with that in the church. Like people saying, Hey, look, I, I don't hate that person because they're a different color than me, but I just don't think we should procreate with them. Um, and then even as to go as far as like try to use scripture to validate that. Um, and that, you know, that's another, that's like you said before, <laughs> some other podcast, but you just, you see those things. Um, that's the kind of things I'm talking about that we kind of encountered 
uh, early on in our relationship and still from time to time, you know, have to encounter and deal with. For sure. Well, I know that was a lot to unpack, but let's kind of close out this conversation before we get to the end of the, the show. Um, thinking down the line, you know, thinking future state and, you know, I have to think about this myself uh, as a father of soon to be three. Do you feel, you know, when you are, as you all are pregnant, right, having children, um, do you feel it's important that if you, you know, that, that your children know both sides of the culture that they come from? Um, and two, how do you, you know, as much as you can maybe give insight to plan on educating them around this? Because I think one thing that I look for and haven't really heard a lot about just within, you know, the sources that I trust and the way that I run my life, you know, the topic within that vein and then that within that trail, um, raising, you know, interracial children, you know, children who don't necessarily look white, don't necessarily look black, typically fit within any group, all group, uh, which could be a very good thing, but also can be a very negative thing for how some people still treat them today. I, I won't act like that doesn't exist. Um, you know, have you and Anna had any conversations around that, or at least is there anything in the forefront of your mind as you're about to step in the fatherhood that you, that you just want to be aware of and feel like you want to be prepared for? Yeah, man. Um, not, not really, to be honest. Um, and let That's me just okay. say that, yeah. let me, yeah, let me just say this to kind of give some clarity there. Shout out to anybody who's had to endure a miscarriage or, mm-hmm. or losing or losing a child because you know Anna and I endured that and then when we found out she was pregnant this time you know we really waited before we started telling some folks and like obviously we told some close friends you know um right away um Mm -hmm. but the point is that Anna has some health issues and deals with a lot of different things so like we weren't sure if she was ever going to get pregnant uh again after we lost our first and I think that's just really loomed over the whole situation. It's been hard to talk about all the other stuff. We're like, let's just take care of the baby. Yeah, Yeah, let's just take care of the baby. The baby's not going to start making decisions for itself until it's at least like, you know, three, four years old, really, like where you're making like conscious, intellectual, cognitive decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like to be able to teach them about what they look like. I mean, that's even further down the line, right? Like, Obviously, as, as parents in the home, we have had discussions about like how we want to provide a safe environment for our kids where there's not this family dynamic that represents a like a white patriarchy at all. You know, there, I don't want my kids to get the idea that because dad is white, he is, you know, better or more revered or is a stronger leader than mom. Um, just like we don't want, you know, Anna to be like more revered or um, more appreciated um, as a black mother, you know? And I mean, you could speak to this way better obviously than I can, but I mean, coming from a, a home where, um, you know, grandma took care of the family and uh, a black woman was the provider and the centerpiece of that family um, you know, we don't, we just want to avoid like those ideas of norms, um, yeah. and, like expectations, um, that like, this is what it has to look like because this is what other people that look like us are doing. Right. Um, and then going down the line, we, we've certainly had conversations about, and this kind of pulls from the last question you asked, but like Anna 
grew up in Mississippi. Um, and I mean, black folks versus white folks. I mean, it's like one to 12. I mean, like for every 12 white folks, there was maybe one black person, uh, in, in Mississippi where she grew up. And even though, you know, I wasn't the first person her parents saw like in the family as a first white person they ever saw in the family and dating one of their kids. Um, I was certainly the first one that they had like an intimate really like encounter with and got to know on a real intimate level. And it became apparent, like there were some expectations just from that community. Uh, maybe not so much from the family, but from the community to like have like a black love uh, or, or to have that black love and like to procreate with a black person to, to keep that thing going or whatever it may be. Um, so I say all that to say that, we don't want our kids to feel that pressure mm. because more than likely they're going to look, you know, more black than they'll ever look white. Um, more than likely they're going to be, be uh, less passively white, you know, um, and they're going to be people of color, of course. So it's going to be something that we try to celebrate more than anything and not bring all the stigma to it. Uh, just something that we want to do is constantly be on the offense against those or going after those things and making sure our kids understand you don't have to do that. There's no wrong or right way to be black, right? There's no right or yeah. wrong way to be white. Um, just be yourself is yeah. what we want to you know, teach them. Oh, I think that's really real. Um, I know for myself and, you know, as I said already, our kids' birthdays right around the corner. Uh, there's a certain questions people ask that, you know, I have found myself not prepared for. Not that they're bad, that for one question, and your mom actually asked me this when we were out to lunch one day. Um, Emerson had a baby doll with her and the baby doll, you know, and in, in this there's the whole thing behind baby dolls and, you know, having a white doll, having a black doll, letting children play with toys that either look more like them or look more diverse, whatever that might be. And uh, Emerson had a baby doll that I, I guess looked more black than white. I couldn't really, I mean, you can't really tell when something's like sewn with fabric, but that's what it looked like. And your mom was like, hey, do you have a preference on like the kind of baby doll that Emerson gets? And not in like a facetious way, of course. Um, if y'all know anything about uh, Caleb's mother, you know that she's my mother. So don't, so don't even try to go there. Um, but in, in that regard, she was like, you know, as someone who will buy gifts for your children, things like that, I want to be cognizant and aware of you know the kind of toys that they want to identify with if it's okay to get them. like would you take offense if she was given like a blonde haired you know blue eyed you know little baby girl baby doll versus you know a black haired brown eyed uh, brown skinned baby doll and things like that so um those are things that i don't know the answer to and i'm i, I told her i was like you know i really hadn't thought about that and courtney hadn't thought about that but you know uh, we've decided that we'll have toys that look like both sides of the family. I feel like some, some of those things kind of play into, um, like we've all said, you know, just around, you know, boys and girls, right. Um, it's not, you know, crazy for uh, a boy to play with a doll or an action figure in a way that, you know, uh, stereotypically quote unquote, a girl would, or for a girl to be playing around with uh, race cars or anything like that, that would quote unquote be stereotypically boy. Um, we find that the same way with that. Um, but also, you know, just culturally things that are okay. And, and this is one that, um, again, I haven't figured out how to navigate, but when it comes to language within, you know, say my mm -hmm. side of the family more extended, 
you know, and, and I, and I, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole cause we could talk forever on this, but sure. uh, the use of certain words, right. The N word and things like that is definitely something that exists within my family. Um, not necessarily my immediate anymore, but I've been what we call called out my name uh, by family and it wasn't a derogatory thing. And I won't say it was necessarily a loving term, but it just, it was what it was and it is what it is within the black community. And I don't think any of us really can slice and dice it because it's, it's something that I wouldn't dare anyone else call me. Um, and not that there's the ER or the GA or however you decide to say it, but those things exist. And, you know, my children hearing that, potentially being referred to that even in a joking manner or anything like that is something that, you know, I have to be aware of because I can look back on my life and think that never bothered me. And I don't say that as in it's okay for anyone to walk up to me and say that, or for me to be called that by any other black person or anything like that. But if it happened at a family function, primarily black people at that family function, I probably wouldn't think too much different about it because I, I heard it growing up. Um, but is that the environment that I want my kids to grow up in? It, you know, you get into this identity crisis sort of thing. So I was just curious, you know, you know, if you had thought about some of those things or if y'all encountered that, but. Um, yeah. I mean, if I can say one more thing about that, Anna's, we haven't had to deal with too much uh, racism up front, like, you know, um, to our face, like other than like microaggressions, like I said, and things that like are more subliminal, we haven't had to deal with too much, but Anna obviously as an individual has dealt with, a lot um and even in our duration of our relationship when i'm not around has had to deal with some things that no person should have to deal with um and that no person of color uh should have to deal with um we don't want our kids to deal with those things but we know that they will encounter some of those Uh so there is a goal to teach them like how to you know deal with those folks um, and then to avoid, you know, certain stigmas, like don't be afraid to stand up for yourself, even if it means you're going to be looked at, you know, in a certain way. Um, you know, from the Anna talked about with me is, you know, she can't get passionate and like, you know, raise her voice because she's passionate, not because she's angry, not because she's, you know, feeling aggressive, but just because she's passionate, she can't even do that because she might be looked at as the loud, you know, black woman. Yeah, angry black woman. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we just want to teach our kids about those things because I, I think ignorance is bliss and I think it's also destructive. You know, it can, it can really set you up for um, failure. So to like, it's really just balance at the end of the day. I think the goal is balance to, and to use, you know, your situation as an example, like to not give, our kids only one color of a toy because we don't uh-huh. want to vilify or demonize the other. Right. No, that's good. That's good. Well, I appreciate you talking about that uh, before we wrap up in the good spirit of my co-host, Kristen, who is not here, we are going to play Kristen's game time. Dun, 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 dun. So the game, Caleb, uh, this is all, you know, toward you. So you, you have to participate. Obviously you don't have a choice. Um, I'm going to go through a series of questions and yeah. you're essentially going to let me know. Yeah, I've heard that or no, I haven't. Uh, you you okay. see what I did there? Cause you know, most white people say, yeah, the most black they say, nah, you know, anyway, I try, I try anyway, not going to dwell on oh. it. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. So the first statement no, but how did you really meet? Has anyone ever said that to you? Have you ever heard that before toward you and Anna? No, 
I have not. No, I've not heard that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys are going to have such cute babies. Yes. I this one makes that. my skin crawl. Oh, no. And it's not in like, and I don't get upset about no. it all the time, but it's like, I, and this is just my pedestal for a quick second. Then we're going to get back to the game. Uh, mixed children are not an accessory or nothing to get into a relationship to achieve, to have, uh, to make Preach. yourself look good or to stand up because my children Very are beautiful. Sad. My children have wonderful skin. People like we were at Easter yesterday and someone was like touching her hair and it's like, it's just so curly. It's like, you know, I love that. Let them be celebrated for those things and they can enjoy it. But when it becomes more of a uplifting and, you know, in that kind of way that we all can identify, that's where I have problems with it. So can I, can I tack on? Yeah. Your yeah. Can I join you on, on the stage? Yes. You can have the second second. step. Give me five seconds. I just want to say that I was listening to something earlier, earlier today in preparation for this. And I heard a lady, this is a clip. So it wasn't being celebrated. It was being called out, but a clip of a lady saying I adopted a black child because I think white babies aren't cute. Yeah. And I was that like, kills me. Yeah. What? Yeah. And, and as yeah, a, so. as a couple who plans to adopt in the future, um, white child, black child, Asian child, you know, Hispanic child, whatever, you know, that's, that's going to be my child. So we'll, 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 we'll move on. Um, do you wear his cultures or her cultures clothes? <laughs> this is clearly, this um, is a real question. I didn't make these up y'all. So don't come no, out. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I personally haven't heard that, but if I can answer like an entire, like, you know, just being transparent, I've had friends who have told me stories about such a thing. Yeah, essentially, your entire wardrobe gets changed because now you have to wear designer jeans with some J's. You got to have a pair of highs, a <laughs> pair of lows. You know, you know how it goes. Well, you know what? Actually, maybe I can say this too. There was definitely some people who said, uh, "You know, Caleb's about to be on the come up." Yeah, I've heard that <laughs> a couple times, and that was a, like a, a bit of a shot. And I was like, yeah. "Okay, well, that's also hurtful to Anna." So thanks for thanks for that. No, no, that makes sense. Um, what's their food like? <laughs> <laughs> what is their food like? Listen, man, I I have heard it. And you know what, man? It tastes pretty dang good. So, like, I'm not <laughs> even mad at that question. I know there's, I know there's, I know it's problematic. I know to, there's to, my, that to, to my people of a lighter skin tone out there, and you know I love you, season your food. All right, moving on. Moving on. How how does your family feel about your partner's race? Someone asked you that. Have you heard that before? Besides yeah. the podcast. Besides yeah, the podcast. We, we yeah, no, we certainly have both heard that. Uh without a without a doubt, we've both heard that. And it's and it's unsettling, but yeah, we've heard that. Okay. You're dating a insert race or ethnicity here. Aren't you worried about insert country or ethnic stereotype here? Man, that <laughs> that's a great that's a great question. I got that. If I'm being transparent, I got that myself from strictly just former generations. You know, the people from the 1960s, for example. I got it from those people. I didn't get it from people who grew up with us. I even got it 
from I got it from a couple of siblings. They were like, "Are you are you worried about this? You know, that's gonna be different. Is that are are you gonna be okay with that?" I think some of it came from a spirit of like good intention. Um, mm-hmm. I know Anna dealt with a little bit of it too from her from her own circle. So for sure, for sure. Um, wouldn't it just be easier to date your own race? Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, do you want me to go in depth or should I just say yes? Oh no, that? I mean usually it's just if you got a small tidbit to add in there. I mean I do have a few sure. more questions. Yeah, so, I mean yeah. there was a there was a guy at a, at a job I used to have who you know, he asked me, like, what's it like? You know, is that still difficult for you guys? I think he was just genuinely curious as a guy who had been married to somebody of his own, you know, race uh, for like 30 years. Um, you know, he he was curious, you know, what's that like? And I told him, and then his next comment was, she sounds like it would just be easier if you just stay away from all that. And I'm like, yeah. you don't get it. Shake, shaking your head, right? <laughs> all right, three more questions. The next one. Do you only date, insert ethnicity here, so do you only date black men? Do you only date black women? Do you only date white women? Do you only date et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think that can be taken one of two ways. Uh, You know, the question can be to somebody who has typically just happened to date people outside of their race there's an assumption, you know, that you are ashamed of what you are or that you don't have self-love and that, and that you need to love yourself. So you need to date within your own community. I think Anna dealt with that. Um, and for me, there was like this, like assumption that I was a white guy with a fetish. You know, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Yep. The creep piece of, you know, if a white man only dates white women, no one thinks twice about it. But if he dates only Asian women, then he's a creep. Right. And then just yeah, in light of some I mean, of the conversations well, happening if today. If you only date one race because you're intentionally only dating one race, there might be a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like exactly. if you're saying no to dates with like other people who happen to be outside of your race, then there might be a problem. But I mean, yeah. for me, I just, you know, I had a track record of, of talking to, you know, people of any race. And, really, anyway. um, Oh, goodness. I wasn't saying, no, that was not a joke. That was not a joke. All right, moving on. Can you help me find a blank insert race, ethnicity, boyfriend or girlfriend? I'm sorry. So can you help me find, as an example, okay, can you help me find a black boyfriend or black girlfriend now that you're dating Anna, right? Can you hook me up with one of her friends? Yeah, man. Uh, whoever came with these questions is asking great questions. Oh, yeah, these they are. are real. These are real things that that definitely. Yeah. The answer is I can, but I'd rather not, because <laughs> you ask questions like that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think my this. I mean, this isn't to my credit. This is due to like research and putting in the work and like educating myself, unearthing those things that I want out of my personality, out of my character, things that I want to replace with good things and things that support equality amongst races and combat my own, you know, uh, biases. Um, my answer is always, if you are asking me that question, no, I don't have anybody to hook you mm-hmm. up with. I don't have any numbers to give you. I don't have any names. You know, if yep. you're asking me that question, I'm, I'm telling every person I can near you, like, yeah, stay away. This person. Yes. All right. Last question. Don't people stare at you guys when you go on dates? Don't people look at you different? 
the last question. So do I get like an extra 30 seconds? Nope. You get 10. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, certainly well, those, those have been asked a couple of times in just different words, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's just, it's common. It's common. Yeah. And it's more common than people realize or it's more common than people want to admit. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions I have and all the time we have for Chris's game time. Dun, 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 dun. We're, we're working on the jingle, but that's essentially, that's yeah, essentially that what good, it is. We, we, have like to, it. we have to do it that way. Do we uh, take the notes that you're, that you're like doing with your mouth and make music out of those? Because those are pretty good. We probably could. You know, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying out here. You heard that, Chris. I'm trying for you. It's like, anyway. it's like Jeopardy meets Sports Center. Yeah. <laughs> 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 all right. So <laughs> I'm very glad, you know, we could share, you know, this, this conversation and uh, bring it maybe a little bit of enlightenment to uh, just some of the things, you know, not every couple in general goes through all the same things, right? Being married is a challenge in of itself. Uh, dating in today's time is a challenge in, even of, of itself. But, you know, you mix yeah. in something, no pun intended, uh, like interracial marriage and, you know, interracial relationship. Some things can 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 get a little bit more unclear and maybe a little bit more difficult to uh, get through. So, um if you have questions, you know, you can find Mr. Mr. Caleb Jackson on social media. You, you shout your Twitter. You still use Twitter, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, Caleb, right? Caleb Anthony three, just the number three, Caleb Anthony three on Twitter, uh, Caleb Anthony three on Instagram. You can find me. Uh, yeah. I'll be an awkward looking white guy with a beard. <laughs> okay. You can shout him out there. Of course, if you all have other topic suggestions or anything that you want us to cover, uh, please send them to us. Remember, you know what to do. Subscribe, listen, and share. But on that note, this is Jay. This is Caleb. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>